Welcome back, everyone. I'm Tommy Canale, and welcome to Before the Lights podcast, the show to find out how those in sports, music, and entertainment have made their mark. Please go to our website, beforethelightspod.com, and follow us on Instagram at beforethelightspod. Make sure you subscribe and share the show, please. All right, everyone, get a coffee, grab a drink, tell your family, friends, neighbors, and yes, strangers. It's time to have an in-depth conversation with our guest. Today, my guest has over 25 years of experience in the game of golf. He has played on the PGA Tour, the Nationwide Tour, has made over 150 cuts on these tours, and is currently a highly revered golf instructor at High Performance Golf Institute at Lake Las Vegas, a native of Indiana and Notre Dame fan. Please welcome Jeff Gallagher. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tommy. Glad to be here. Yes, we're going to have some fun, and we're going to take a little trip back to memory lane with you. Take me through your success as a junior golfer first. Oh, wow. That's way back. i got to remember all that stuff. <laughs> um, well, uh, you know, I got started at a really age, uh, early age. My dad was a club professional in Indiana, and, and fortunately my brother and sister and I were kind of spoiled. We got to play a really good golf course every day of our life, and and so, you know, we had clubs in our hand at four or five years old. And I think I started playing tournament golf maybe eight or nine. Um, and back then, you know, there wasn't a whole lot. We just played local stuff and, um, you know, nine holes each each tournament. And, you know, I just kind of built it from there and, um, you know, just continued to, to grow in the game and, and uh, with great instruction from my father, um, you know, and then, and then, you know, won a bunch of tournaments as a young kid and, and then I, you know, got to the teen years, and um, you know that that was a little bit more competitive. Obviously, that's what happens at those ages. And uh, you know, I, I I I played in our local stuff, mainly Indiana State Juniors, Indiana State Ams, um, a few of the USGA stuff. Uh, you know, I played in two US Juniors while I was in high school, and then uh, I won our Indiana State Junior my. I guess I was 17 year old. Uh, I was 17 years old my last year playing junior golf, and, and then that built into going to play college golf at Ball State University in, in Muncie, Indiana. Going back to you, you won the 1982 Indiana State Champion. What do you recall about winning that event? Let's see. <laughs> yeah, that uh, we used to play at Purdue University's golf course. Uh, okay, it was, it was staged there every year. Um, I had, I think I, had, I, I'm not sure if it was that year or the year before I was medalist. And end up getting beaten like the semifinals. I think that was the year before. Um, to a player who played at Purdue, who was kind of my, you know, nemesis growing up in junior golf, I could never beat him. It seemed like, and and then my last year in '82, we uh, we got paired in the finals, and and uh, and it was a match play tournament, and uh, I I don't know exactly where I, I think I won two and one something like that, but uh, you know that was a, a big step in in my success with golf is. You know that was my first big win um, as a you know a junior golfer and as a, a high schooler and you know and to beat a kid that was he was probably ranked in the top ten top fifteen in the country at junior golf and so um, you know that that kind of catapulted my career a little bit. Was your family were you guys all competitive? Being you had a father, brother, and sister that were all pretty successful in athletics, do you guys feed off each other and compete against each other? Oh yeah, 
definitely, definitely. You know, our dad was a great, great instructor. I mean, he, you know, he kept it simple. Um, you know, it was one of those deals. He, he, you know, as a as a kid, he's like, if you want my help, I'm here for you. If you don't, and you know, I'm not going to push you to play golf. And you know, so our motivation came from um, from ourselves. And uh, there was a big gap, three and a half years, with my brother, and I think I was three years older than my younger sister. So, um, you know, I got to watch what my brother did. Um, you know, growing up, and that was. You know, he was probably a top five, top ten, you know, junior or high schooler in the country, you know, recruited by every school known to man. And, you know, little old me was three years back there just wanting to be him, you know. And, and um, it's funny because I never could ever beat him, uh, especially as a junior golfer. And I didn't realize, you know, when I was 14 that he was, you know, almost 18 years old. You know, it's a lot harder to beat an 18-year-old when you're 14. So, sure. Um, you know, it took me a while to – to do it i actually actually believe it or not mike and i tell this story it's kind of funny the first time i ever beat him playing golf competitively um or head to heaven and you know just fun matches at home was my rookie year on the pga tour um in 1996 that's wow. Beach. so we got yeah we got paired together there and, and that was the first time i ever beat him um you know so it took me a long time uh but uh you know, that was, you know, that that's the way it was. You know, I, I got to watch him and watch his success, and I learned a lot from it. Jeff's older brother, uh, Jim, was a five-time winner. And how did he take that when you finally finally defeated him? You know, it's funny. We talked about that about a month ago because um, he has his own little podcast that he does back in Mississippi. And, and uh, we were discussing it, and, and I said, do you remember that day that I beat you at Pebble Beach? He goes, yeah, you beat me the first day, but I beat you the second <laughs> And then they rained out the tournament, and so it didn't count. And I'm like, yeah, it counted. I still – my two-day total was better than yours, so that was my first time. And ever since then, I, I beat him every time since then. So, Once you got the taste of victory from him, you just kind of put the pedal to the metal on him a little bit. Yeah, no, he and, – and it was awesome because, I mean, he was he was by far – you know, he was one of the top players in the world back in his day. And, you know, Ryder Cupper, President's Cup, uh, you know, five-time winners, he said. And, you know – to be able to even be able to compete with a guy like that, you know, you gain a lot of confidence from it. And, and, you know, I learned a lot from him, which is, you know, I would say, you know, obviously my dad's my golf hero, but my brother was probably part of it because of, you know, growing up and, and learning from him. What was your recruitment like and how did the decision come about to attend Ball State? Well, I wasn't highly recruited. I mean, I was a decent junior golfer um, and, you know, I, I didn't like school very much. So, you know, all these kids out there that are listening, you know, do well in school because that's what, that's what college coaches want. They, they want you to be good golfers, but they want you to succeed in the classroom. And I, I did, I just didn't put the effort into it. I probably should have. Um, and so for me, I didn't get recruited by a lot of schools. I had South Carolina looking at me for a while and then, um, you know, they didn't, they didn't go for me. And, um, I had a few other offers from a couple other schools. And I tell people the funniest one was I was recruited by Army to play golf at, at there at the um, at the school there, and then I was recruited by Yale for some reason. Um, but fortunately, um, you know, I chose to stay home in Indiana and played at Ball State, and you know, we had competitive uh, seasons every year, and we would play against Big Ten schools. And back when I played, Ohio State was a top five school in the country, so we were always playing against good competition. What do you recall? about ball state maybe your freshman year getting acclimated to college golf was it a big adjustment for you from going from high school golf into 
playing college golf or did you just kind of flow go with the flow and you're okay no it wasn't a big adjustment i think being you know i only it was only 45 minutes or 40 minutes away from my home so it wasn't like i was that far away from home like some kids have to travel all the way across country and away from their parents and obviously when i got there i didn't i didn't i didn't go home but um i struggled a little bit i i I have a lot of great stories when it comes to golf because you know as you know i teach a lot of junior golfers and you know some of them struggle but i I, my freshman year, I didn't play my whole um, fall first season. I uh, tried to qualify a couple times, got hurt, hurt my back, and I actually was out for about four weeks. So I missed my whole fall season, and and that kind of, you know, it was it was kind of a downfall for me a little bit mentally because you know I was excited to play you know college golf, and we had a really good team. I had played a lot of a lot of good players on our team. Um, you know, Brian Tennyson, one of my teammates. He actually went on to play the PGA Tour also. And, you know, so we had the potential to be a really good team, and, and I didn't make that traveling squad. And um, I got better, and uh, in the spring, our first tournament was at our home course, and I, I was motivated to get back on that team, and I was, wasn't in the top five, and, and I ended up finishing second in the tournament. And, and then I never really looked back from there. I, um, you know, played number one or two throughout my next three and a half years, so. I would guess so because eventually you you were inducted into the Ball State Hall of Fame. What yeah. were what were your thoughts when you learned that you were going to be inducted into that? Well, that was a big honor. I mean, you know, even though you know Ball State's not known for its golf, uh, so to speak. I mean, they're they're building a really good program right now. Mike Fleck, who's the coach there, has a he's done a really good job with the program there. Um, you know, it was it was. It was a. Uh, it was special. Uh, obviously, I was playing the tour at the time, and unfortunately, I never got to go to the ceremony. So my dad accepted all the stuff for me, so um, you know, I kind of missed out on that. Unfortunately, I wish I would have been there. But you know, at the time, you know, I had to. I had to try to make money for my family, and and uh, you know, to me, that was a little bit more important. And but you know, still, uh, I was the first Gallagher in a Hall of Fame, I think. So besides my dad, I think he was in the Indiana Hall of Fame before, but. I thought that was kind of funny. My brother played at University of Tennessee, and he never got never got inducted into the Hall of Fame there until I think a couple of years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you got he it. was an All American, so that was pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's a great achievement for I mean, actually, your whole household. You turned yeah, you yeah. you turned pro in 1987. Was yeah. there any thought about when to turn pro, or were you just ready to go? No, I was ready to go. Um, I didn't know if my golf game was ready to go, but it was, you know, I had, had, had aspired to do that my whole life. And, and as I said, I got to see what my brother did. Um, you know, he was good enough that he qualified his rookie year on the PGA tour, uh, you know, his first try. So, um, in 87, all we basically had back then were little mini tours down in Florida. And I think they might've had one in California, but they had mini tours in Florida. So, um, you know, I, I, uh, just struggled with that. We, we, put together a bunch of members from my club, um, helped sponsor us and, and kind of got us started. And, and every one of the kids, my brother, my sister, all three of us did the same thing. And, and, you know, fortunately we had members that were willing to trust that we were going to make it and, and they helped us get out there and, and, you know, we owe it all to the, the people back in Marion, Indiana. What kind of nerves did you have on your first pro event? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, knee shaking or my no? My very first one, my very first one was like a little local PGA section deal that I got in. It was a, a tournament in Monticello, Indiana. Uh, neat little golf course, and 
and I don't remember what my my nerves were like, but my nerves are always shot when I'm playing golf. I mean, to this day, I still get nervous every time I get on a golf course, but it's learning how to handle those nerves is what makes you a good player. Um, and I actually finished third in that tournament, so that was my first success. And then I went down to Florida for the mini tours, and I just I had zero success. I mean, I I struggled. I made a check here and there, but the players were so good in Florida, you know, back in the day, and um, it was an adjustment going from bent grass in Indiana to to Bermuda grass so that took a while and then I tried the the, the PJ Tour qualifying school that fall uh, made it to the second stage um, to get to the finals and lost in a playoff so um, then it was just back to playing state ams and, and mini tours again until the uh, Hogan tour became about in 1990 so um, that was kind of my first experience with with professional golf i wasn't making a whole lot of money i can tell you that <laughs> well the ben hogan tour you had two wins there 34 top tens and you talked about making a check here and there and for our listeners talk about what it's like as a professional golfer when you're trying to make maybe your first cut or your first couple cuts because you're trying to make money for your family yeah i mean fortunately back in 90 i, I wasn't married yet i didn't get married till 93 but um you know as a single person, it's a little easier because you don't have to worry about what's going on. But um, it, it, it was a struggle compared. I mean, it's a struggle now, I guess, with some of the mini tours. And obviously, we're playing for a lot more money on the tours than what we did back when I played. But, um, you know, the mini tours were just, they were dreadful. I mean, you'd spend $400 to make $300. So you, you kind of, you stayed in dumpy hotels and, and ate, you know, whatever you could do to, to get by. And then, you know, that, that having the Hogan tour, I, I had a qualifier for it and I finished, I think third or fourth in that qualifier to make me exempt for the year. And, um, you know, that was the next stepping stone. I think we played each tournament was a hundred thousand dollars that a week. And we had 30 of them. Um, I think it was 20 grand for first place. And I missed my first 10 cuts to start the year out. So, um, that was a lot of fun. So, bad. Um, you, you know, start doubting yourself at that point. Here, What's that? Did you start doubting yourself a little bit then? Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, it, it, it you know, you know how golf is. I mean, mm -hmm. once a negative gets in there, it just stays in there, and you just have to kind of somewhat be positive. And, um, you know, it was intimidating to me because I was, you know, obviously I played college golf against a lot of really good players, but now the Hogan Tour was the guys who were playing from Oklahoma State and Florida's and, you know, Texas and, and, you know, all the, you know, from all over the country instead of just a, a region in the Midwest. And, um, you know, I never really thought my game was good enough to play against them, I think. And that's what kind of held me back. And then 10 weeks into it, I'm thinking they really aren't any better than I am. I just got to believe I'm, I'm better. And, um, I think I, I don't remember correctly, but I think it was maybe might've been Fort Wayne, Indiana, was the first cut I made and I could be wrong, but I know that was one of my first top tens on the, on the Hogan tour. And I think I finished fourth there and I was just kind of, you know, built a lot of confidence off of that. And, and, you know, I succeeded and made a little bit of money that year. I think my total earnings that year were $27,000. If you want to make that a little bit of money, <laughs> and <laughs> probably spent about 20. So, um, you know, what, wasn't a very, uh, lucrative job. Well, to go along with that, I see in 1990-1992, you were a tour rep for MaxFly Golf uh, on the web.com tour. So you were doing that as well as being a professional. So what were the yeah. what were the challenges like of doing both? What were what was your what was your responsibilities of being a tour rep? 
Well, I was I was responsible for ordering golf balls and gloves and hats every week um, and distributing them to the Max Five players. I think we probably had anywhere from we'd have anywhere from eight to twenty players or fifteen players mostly every week. And and back on the Hogan Tour the first year or so, I mean, we really didn't play very many fantastic golf courses and they didn't have locker rooms so you couldn't just like leave them in the locker like they do now so i had to track down a bunch of guys every week um so my limited my practice was a little bit limited and you know i think after a while i you know after, especially after the first year i think i just said you know what here's the deal if you want me this is when i'm going to be here and if you want to get your golf balls you can get them then and if not I, you know i'm trying to make a living so um, but I was very fortunate that I had that max fly deal because that was my, basically that was my income for the year. Cause you know, as I said, I didn't make a whole lot of money playing. Yeah. And, and probably back yeah. then there was a lot of players doing things to supplement their income as well as playing golf. Oh yeah. I'm sure there, you know, I, I don't know of any offhand, but I'm sure there were a lot of guys that did stuff at certain times, but you know, I, I think I ended up finishing 51st on the money list that year by like $200. Um, and, 50th and under got you to the second stage so i had to i had to return back to the first stage of tour school that year uh in 91 and um you know i finished i think our last tournament was in el paso and i watched it i think it was scott gump made a putt from about six feet that if he misses i go to second stage automatically and don't have to go to first stage but he makes it and i think i missed out by you know like 100 bucks or under 200 dollars it was and and so after the next day i heated up on Tuesday for the first day of tour school. Um, that was the way it was back in the day. I, you know, I'm sure it's kind of the same way to a certain extent now, but, um, you know, I, I had success that, that year. I made it all the way to the finals. And, and I remember playing at La Quinta in 91. My dad was caddying for me, and, and I was playing the eighth hole at the Nicholas Resort course. It was my 70 or 100 and however many holes we played, 106. It was my 105th hole. I needed birdie probably to, to make it. I hit it on the par five and two and three putted from eight, 80 feet or something like that. And I ended up missing my tour card by a shot that year. So, um, so many young people out there that, you know, have aspirations to play on the, on the pro golf or play pro tour. But in reality, it's less than 1% of the number of junior golfers that are playing golf that actually get to see their name on a PGA tour leaderboard. And you brought yeah. up a couple of good things, Jeff, about, you know, missing out by a hundred dollars and missing out by a shot. And I really don't think that the, the people that are young these days understand how competitive and how fine tuned the, the margin for error is these days. I mean, you just, you can't miss. And if you do, somebody's going to pass you. Yeah. I mean, and, and especially now, I mean, you know, back when I played, obviously golf was probably not as big as it is now. You know, once Tiger came out, it made it bigger and everybody wants to be like that. And, um, yeah, it is. It's, there's such a fine line between, you know, obviously the top 10, top 20, top 30 players in the world are, are, you know, probably much better than the majority of people, but there's still a fine line between 125th on the money list and, and, you know, second on the money list. I mean, there really is, mm-hmm. um, at, at any point, anybody on the PGA tour or, or corn Ferry tour or LPGA tour, anybody can win. I mean, it's just, it, it's so competitive now. And, and it really was never like that. If you looked at, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, maybe the early 90s, you know, the turnover on the PGA Tour was not as big as it is now. Now it's just, I mean, you could be 10th on the money list one year, and then two years later you're you're 
playing the Corn Ferry Tour. So um, it's competitive. Jumping back to your career, in 1998, you had six top tens on the PGA Tour. You were sixth at the Nissan, which Billy Mayfair yeah. won at 12 under. You had rounds of 69, 71, 68, 69, finished uh, minus seven. What yeah. was your mindset in that event when you started to climb the leaderboard and get in contention? Please play good. <laughs> you know, at the time, it was early in the year, obviously, and, and you know, I was never a west coaster i didn't play very well on the west coast very often i may may have made a couple cuts here and there but i never really got off to a great start i think i played well in hawaii that year um and then we were supposed to play obviously the nissan tournament was always played at at riviera in la and i think that year they had closed the course to redo the greens for the pga championship i believe that year or the next year and so they moved us to valencia country club up in uh, valencia uh, just north of the city and um the golf course just suited my eye i mean I, I remember playing practice rounds it was always my brother and bruce litsky we always played practice rounds together and and litsky was a fader of the golf ball so was i so was my brother and and every hole except for number one two and ten were dogleg right and so it was like man this thing sets up perfect for me um you know i made the cut uh, i think would you say I shot the second day, 66 or something like that? Second day shot 71. 71, I don't know. Well, whatever. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Well, it seemed like 66, yeah. Um, and I played the Saturday. I played behind Tiger. And so, you know, when you're around Tiger, you know you're playing well. So yep. that was that was a good thing. And, and, and then the last day I played, Tiger was behind me. And Billy Mayfair ended up beating Tiger that year. And I think I ended up shooting a really low score. I shot like 32 on the back nine or something like that to shoot the 68 or nine or whatever I shot and, and uh, you know, vaulted me up to, you know, top of the leaderboard. And I think at that time that was my top finish on the tour at, the, at that time. So, um, and that just, you know, I just, I played well after that the rest of the year. I think I played, I think I played about 35 events and made 20, 20 cuts, 22 cuts, something like that. Um, maybe it was, maybe it seemed like 21 or 22 cuts, but, um, and I had a lot of really good success the rest of the year. When you're getting in a playing groove, so to speak, and you're on the tour and, and for people out there, maybe they don't understand. I've been fortunate enough to talk to a, a number of professional golfers I found interesting is you guys usually don't remember what you shot, but you remember where you finished in re- relation to what your paycheck was, because at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to is earning a paycheck. So yeah. when you're in a playing groove, do you just kind of get in a groove and you just don't really think about making cuts? You just figure I'm going to make this cut and I'm going to make that cut and until something happens when you don't make a cut. Yeah. When you're playing well, you're not even worried about what the cut is. I mean, you, you know, generally, you know, I would take it as this is if you're struggling, you're always thinking about, all right, how am I going to make the cut? What's the cut going to be? And then you shoot 69 the first day and now you're thinking, all right, what's the cut? Uh, number right now what do I have to shoot you know and that's not the way you're supposed to play golf I mean, <laughs> you're supposed to play golf by just playing the game and, and beating the golf course every single day and not ever worrying about the, the cut and um, when you're playing well you don't think of those kind of things you just think about hey I'm going to make a lot of birdies I'm going to shoot 66 every day and you know that's what your mindset is um, compared to you know when you're struggling you're, when you're struggling you're just thinking how, how am I just going to make it to Saturday and Sunday and then once you do finally get past that hurdle of, okay, I've made the cut, I'm playing the weekend, is 
some of that dissipate and go away because now you get some confidence back in you? Sometimes, but, you know, I think you put a little bit more pressure on yourself also. You know, you make the cut on the number. You know, sometimes now you're trying to force yourself into shooting 266s, and, you know, it can go, it can backfire on you. But, you know, I think, and it, it is funny now that I'm 55 and I've been playing a little bit on the champion store and a couple of U.S. senior opens the last few years. And, um, you know, I, I tell a lot of my kids, and, and not just my kids, but any of my students that, it's funny. I wish I knew now what I knew then. And I know we always say that, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, it, I made my job a job. Um, and, and it was my job, but I, I made it more of a job than it was supposed to be. And I should have had a little bit more fun with it. I think I struggled with, with injuries. So that kind of kept the game, you know, you know, not where it probably could have been, but, um, you know, when you make something a job and you're just forcing yourself to, you know, think about it that way, then, then the fun is taken out. And now when I play, I mean, I have fun. It's still my job. I mean, I teach and I still play when I, when I play, I'm very competitive. I'm, I'm still focused like I used to be, but I have fun with it. And, you know, I, I think as a junior golfer, I think that's what you gotta, you know, anybody's out there listening. That's the most important thing is just have fun with the game. Um, and, and you'll you'll have success if you're always uptight and always worrying about what your swing looks like or what your you know your playing partners are doing or what you know the wind's doing whatever it is um, that's when you struggle so you know go out and have fun it's, it's such a fun game it's, it's very difficult but you got to be mentally tough and and uh, you know having fun with it is by far the most important part of it you brought something up that just brought a question to mind realms of you know, having a career and maybe losing focus of having fun when you're playing on tour and always wondering what you said with playing partners and everything else. Is it fair to say that most professional golfers that are close to possibly losing their tour card, that becomes an addiction. You're constantly worrying and looking of what everybody else is doing and takes away the focus you should have on what you're doing. Yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, the, the mental part of the game is by far the hardest part of it. Um, and when you're struggling or you're trying to keep yourself in the top 125, and even 98 when I played fairly well, I got hurt late in the year and I struggled. And, and, and it was all I thought about was, all right, am I going to finish in the top 125 at the end of the year? Well, I mean, I was 80th on the money list at the time and, and when I got hurt and, and I ended up finishing 112th. Well, I mean, the more you start thinking of those kind of things, the the worse your golf game get gets. So, um, you know, you you have to you have to have a great mental mindset to play this game. Um, and if you have a a little bit of distraction here and there, and you're just thinking about the the negative, then it's probably going to be a lot of negative happening. <laughs> In 1999, you were fortunate enough to play at the U.S. Open at Pinehurst, which was the final victory of the Payne Stewart. And everybody remembers that memory. Um, unfortunately, you missed the cut. But if you could talk about to our listeners about the difficulty of a U.S. Open course in comparison to what you guys normally see on tour, and the thought process about being in a U.S. Open. Yeah, I mean, playing in the U.S. Open, being an American is is you know it's probably the top thing I would think. Um, I had struggled a few years of getting to play in my first U.S. Open. I missed. I think I missed by one shot three times prior to that. And I kind of got, I got so frustrated with it. I'm like, you know what? This really isn't worth trying. It's just, 
you get to the the, the, the top and you're one stroke uh, from from making it and, and never playing in it and so the year I made it I, I was playing so good I, I think I eased my way in got like eight nine ten under in the two rounds that we had to play to qualify and and that year at Pinehurst um, you know it, it wasn't your typical U.S. Open golf course where they had 12 inches of rough and you know that type of stuff it was it was a couple two inches three inches of Bermuda rough but Pinehurst if anybody's ever played there it is the most brutal golf course one of the most brutal golf courses you'll ever play just because of the the green setup and um you know I I I went in playing as good as I've probably ever played that you know that whole year and so my mindset was hey go at pins you know hit you're hitting it great you know go at it well that didn't take long to shoot 78 or 77 in the first day. And, you know, and, and, you know, I learned that quickly that the U S open is not about going at pins. It's about playing smart. And it's about putting the ball on the green. Doesn't matter if it's 50 feet or, or 10 feet. Um, and I think, you know, that was probably my biggest takeaway from that. And I think I never qualified. I think I tried maybe one or two more times after that. I didn't enjoy playing in it because I played so bad, but, um, you know, and then I struggled the rest of the year. And so I said to myself, I don't want to play in these things anymore. I'm just going to, you know, stay away from it. And I, I think I tried one other time, but I got hurt and didn't get to try to qualify to the second stage of it. And then, you know, like I said earlier, I played in the last four U.S. senior opens. And, and I remember my first one was at Scioto back in Ohio, which is Nicholas's home golf course and where he grew up playing. And my whole mentality that week was, middle of the green fairways you know all that kind of stuff and and it worked and it worked out i finished 17th in the tournament so um you know like my total different you know it was a completely different mindset from my first u.s open playing at pinehurst you brought up the u.s open and you were low medalist of the u.s senior open sectional qualifier last year and it was your fourth straight trip to the u.s senior open which yeah. in 2019 was held at the Warren Golf Club in South Bend. What was it like going back home to play in Indiana for you and being the U.S. Senior Open? Oh, that was – I mean, I had a lot of goals for every one of my senior opens. I mean, the first one I qualified for, I, I've been medalist every every time, and so I've got four of those nice USGA medals at home, which is pretty cool. Um, and I'll get to that story, but, you know, Scioto was – the home of Jack Nicholas, and he's been my hero. So I wanted to make that one. The next year was in Boston, and my wife's from Maine, and and we played at Salem Country Club, and and I had my best friend was dying from cancer, and I wanted to qualify for him so he could see me play, and and I did, and I you know made the cut there, and then you know now I got on a roll. I'm like, all right, Colorado's next. I'm going to go there, and I made that one, and then last year was probably the most special just because it was back home in Indiana. Um, I grew up going to Notre Dame football games. Uh, I'm still a Notre Dame fan, even though, you know, we struggle at times. But, um, you know, being a kid, you know, walking into Notre Dame Stadium every Saturday was, was pretty special. And, um, you know, to qualify for that one was, was probably my most – I would say it was probably the greatest tournament I think I've ever played in. It was probably my greatest experience playing in a golf tournament in my whole golf career, um, playing in front of family and friends and, and at Notre Dame the registration was in Notre Dame stadium. I mean, I was like a little kid in the candy store. Um, and you know, and I had so much fun with it and, and, and played very well. If you would, Jeff talk about, and I've seen the videos, it's kind of cool about you walking out 
with the Notre Dame football helmet on to yeah. uh, a crowd. Yeah, that was uh, that was not um, supposed to happen. Uh, but we every the, the the locker room that week was was basically the I think it was the men's golf indoor uh, facility. And so they had a makeshift locker room, brought locker in, all that stuff, and, and walk in. I was, I think I was seen off in the morning. I can't remember, but um, there were jerseys on everybody's locker, and there were helmets all over the place. And I'm talking, and and one of the USDA officials was talking to David Toms, who had won the U.S. Senior Open the year before. And David's been a really good friend of mine, and my sister played college golf at LSU with him, and so I've known him for a hundred years. And and David tries on the helmet. And he can't get it off, and I'm laughing because he's got such a big head. And he put on the smallest helmet, I think. And the USDA officials over there with him, and I'm laughing at him. I said, "Hold on, I got to take a picture. I'm sending this to LSU, and you know they're gonna they're gonna ban you from going to games." And, you know, an LSU alum wearing a Notre Dame helmet, and, and so the USDA guy looks at me and he goes, "So, would you wear it?" And I said, "Heck yeah, I'd wear it." He goes, "Would you wear it the first team?" I said, "Yeah, sure. Why not?" And he's like, "All right, we'll bring your we'll bring your jersey and we'll bring the helmet to the first tee 15 minutes before." I said, "Perfect." Well, now I had two hours to think about it. I'm thinking, "Why did I say yes to that?" <laughs> um, and it was it was pretty cool. I mean, they had the 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 Notre Dame, you know, fight like a champion or play like a champion. They had the everything that's in the locker room. They had it on the way to the first tee, and you know, I tapped the. ND, the Irishman and the ND, and then I tap to play like a champion, and I show up in the first tee with my helmet on, and there were only about 50 people there, but um, everybody was going crazy. It was pretty cool. Yes. Uh, but I was so amped up. Now I can see why football players get so amped up for a football game, because I was so amped up like, and, and nervous at the same time, because now i got to calm myself down. I couldn't calm myself down to hit the, the first tee shot off the first hole. Um, and somehow I squiggled it out there in, in the rough and, and ended up making par and then, um, you know, off to the races after that. Great story. What piece of advice would you give to your younger self? Oh, uh, work harder in, in school. <laughs> that would be my, that would be my number one thing. And, and I bet if you asked every one of my kids that I teach and they ask about what, you know, what it takes, that's the first thing I tell them is, work hard in school because you know golf only lasts for so long and i wish i'd worked a little bit harder at it um not that i you know i i I didn't put time into i just didn't work as hard as i should have at it and and then i probably would just like i said earlier um enjoy the game and have fun with it and don't let it don't let it consume you um it's easy for the game to consume you because it's so difficult and you want to do so well but um if you have fun with it and and just enjoy it, I think I think you can see a lot of success from that. So now you are an instructor when you're not playing, and if you would explain what are some of the challenges, and then what are the rewards of being an instructor? Ooh, the, the the rewards are the best. I mean, just anytime you get to to, I love working with the junior golfers because they're you know they want to learn. And not that grown-ups don't either, and, and some of the older students don't either, but, you know, they have a lot more uh, – their bodies can work a little bit better than some of the, the, the grown-ups. So um, I just think it's so much fun to to be able to tell stories about what, you know, and Craig Barlow and I work together out here at Lake Las Vegas, and for us to be able to, you know, 
give these kids what we've learned over the years um, is so rewarding. And then to see them have success uh, makes it even better. Um, you know, the, the downfalls are sometimes just the frustration of telling people the same thing over and over and over again until they finally learn it. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think sometimes parents get a little bit too difficult on the, on the kids. Um, you know, like I said, my dad never pushed any of us. And I think my mentality was, I don't want to push my kids. If they want to do it, they're going to, they're, you know, the, the junior golfers are going to work hard if they want to, if they want to have success at it. So I would say stuff to parents and just say, you know, encourage and, and don't, you know, don't beat them up with it for sure. It's great advice coming from somebody who's had a lot of success. One more question before we wrap it up. What profession okay. other than golf would you always want to try? Well, being from Indiana, um, basketball was my, was my go-to. Um, but I was actually, I thought I was pretty good at, at basketball. I mean, I grew up in, in Marion, Indiana, which is like basketball capital of Indiana. So um, it, you almost had to know how to play golf. But I think there's, I've pretty much done every sport, so to speak. And the only thing I've never done and I really want to do it is ski, believe it or not. Snow ski? Yeah, I want to snow ski. I, I, I don't know if I want to do it because I don't want to get hurt because I'm very prone to injury, but I think the challenge of it would be, would be fun. Um, so one of these days I keep my, I keep telling my wife and my kids that one of these days I'm going to do it. So that, that's my, that's my goal before I go. It's on the, the bucket list. I want to try. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, last thoughts. You know, I, I just, like I said earlier, I think tell people just enjoy the game. This is such a frustrating game. Um, and I think the more you enjoy it and, and, you know, set goals, but don't set them so high that you can't reach them. Um, but, you know, work hard. It takes a lot of work. Sometimes as, in, as Craig and I as golf instructors, a lot of times you, you have to take baby steps to, to cure the, the big problem. So um, sometimes when your golf instructor tells you to hit little soft shots instead of little shots to, to, to gain the big ones, um, you know, listen to him. <laughs> he is Jeff Gallagher. He is also a revered golf instructor at the High Performance Golf Institute at Lake Las Vegas. People look that up online. You can also just Google that as well, and you will see more information on how to get in touch with Jeff out there at High Performance Golf Institute. Jeff, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks a lot, Tommy. Appreciate it. Everybody, make sure you subscribe and review. Go to Apple Podcast and rate the show. It helps us grow the show, and it helps us a great deal with getting the show out to more people. Hope you enjoyed Before the Lights podcast for show notes, links on how you can get in touch with Jeff, and to see more about his success, go to our website, beforethelightspod.com, and follow us on Instagram at Before the Lights Pod. For the extra five, the Patreon section of the show, you can also check that out on the website. It'll also tell you how to get your name shouted out on the show. Thank you for listening to Before the Lights. I'm Tommy Canale, and we'll talk to you next time 